Putting on the Mind of Christ is a compilation of presentations, talks, and news recorded over the past couple of decades. References to people, facts, and opinions heard were made at the time of the recording. Welcome to Putting On the Mind of Christ. Each week at this time, we go into the Ave Maria CD archives and pull on a talk or two to see what our Lord might have to say to us. Many of these talks are recorded at area conferences. Most of the speakers are nationally known, but some may have been recorded by a brother or sister sitting in front of or behind you at Mass. Ave Maria Radio presents this program of God's Word to His people. This is Henry Root, your host and program producer for Putting On the Mind of Christ. There are many views of this world and what's happening in it. European countries have overspent their abilities to continue to function. There's the U.S. HHS mandate, and the list goes on almost without end. As committed Christians and citizens, we all have or should have our own personal worldviews. But is there a single Christian worldview? Can there really be one? What is the Catholic worldview? What can we, the Catholic faithful, do to enhance the Catholic worldview? Christ the King Church in Ann Arbor, Michigan has started an adult education series to help us in developing a proper Catholic worldview. It's based on scripture, tradition, natural law, and our own developing consciences. This series is actually an outgrowth of a roundtable discussion called by Professor Barbara Morgan. Regular listeners would recognize the names of those invited. These Catholic educators and evangelists form the core team of the worldview series. These sessions are usually held in the Perry Center between the two Sunday morning Masses. This limits the time to a little over an hour. The speakers have been both local experts and guests brought in to speak on a particular worldview topic. Our speaker on this program is the Parish Director of Religious Education, Professor Barbara Morgan. To close out this program, we'll spend some time recognizing a group of men and women from the Diocese of Lansing that recently received papal honors for their service to the Church and her people. Stay with us. You're listening to Putting on the Mind of Christ on Ave Maria Radio. Putting on the Mind of Christ is a compilation of presentations, talks, and news recorded over the past couple of decades. References to people, facts, and opinions heard were made at the time of the recording. Welcome back to Putting on the Mind of Christ. This is Henry Root, your host and program producer. Our first speaker on this program is the Director of Religious Education at Christ the King Parish in Ann Arbor, Professor Barbara Morgan. She and her husband returned to the parish after spending 11 years teaching at Franciscan University of Steubenville. She was the founder and first chair of the catechesis department there. Prior to moving to Steubenville, she earned an advanced apostolic catechetical diploma and a master's degree in catechetics. In her retirement, she's the parish DRE. Something over a year ago, she invited a number of local Catholics to a roundtable discussion about developing and having a Christian worldview. Since so many of our separated brothers and sisters have such divergent views, that topic proved to be entirely too broad. 
It was narrowing to developing a Catholic worldview. Even that proved to be a huge undertaking. Fortunately, a number of parishioners are also seminary professors who could be drawn upon to speak on particular topics, and some former parishioners who are teaching elsewhere who could be brought back to teach on these Sunday morning worldview sessions. So the series is underway, with no real end in sight. But since the upcoming election in the U.S. is so vital to our religious freedom and our lives as Catholic Christians, I will make every effort to get all of the current talks edited and on the air before then. And because of the importance of the topic, you may hear a talk more than once, but other listeners won't have heard it at all. Our talk today was chronologically the first of the Catholic Worldview series. Professor Morgan titled it, Seeing as God Sees. Then she lifted a line from Acts chapter 4, For we cannot speak of what we have seen and heard. She begins her talk with a very personal sharing about her fragile health. She then speaks on the fundamentals of a Catholic worldview by focusing on Acts chapter 4, verse 20, and Acts chapter 28, verses 26 and 27. Here is Professor Barbara Morgan. Good morning. I've wanted to do this presentation for a long time. And this time, there seemed to be many, many obstacles thrown in the way, which would have been okay with me if that's really what God wanted. And I was prepared to decide that I couldn't do it by Saturday morning if things didn't turn around. You may or may not know that on March 22nd, I got hit with two Mack trucks, not literally trucks, but pneumonia and two other infections with it. And I was septic and I was delirious. I completely lost touch with anything. So in a certain way, for me, the time before March 22nd didn't exist. There was no way I was going to be thinking about it. I had two things that kept occurring to me. One was First Communion on Easter, and that wasn't far away. And the other was this endeavor that we as a parish have set upon to look at the view of the world that Christ has from the cross, the Catholic worldview. And I actually went to a meeting of the team for the worldview just two days after I got out of the hospital. I was in the hospital for quite a while. And I don't even know how I did that, because after that, I just kept getting other things going on and getting worse and worse, until last Wednesday night, I got hit with yet another infection that my doctor said was very significant, and it was in my head, and put me on a very strong antibiotic. And the reason I knew I had it is because I had the most horrendous headache I've ever had, worse than migraines. And that's how I was all day Thursday and all day Friday. And this Sunday was coming up. And so people kept saying, are you going to be able to do this? My family. And I kept saying, I'll decide Saturday morning. Well, Friday night... I got ready to go to sleep, and it was terrible. My headache was terrible. And my husband and I 
said goodnight and turned off the light. But I had the television on, closed caption, and all the lights were off. And I had been watching the 700 Club. Now, I don't know if you know what that is, but it's a very, very large ministry, not Catholic, but not really anti-Catholic. And I like those things partly because I'm my mother's daughter. (laughs) And she's the one that was the Baptist before Jesus told her to become a Catholic. And I don't watch it all the time, but they close it with prayer, not prayer that they got requests for, but the two people that are leading just close their eyes, hold hands, and turn to God. And they start receiving these words to pray for this and pray for that. And I was, my eyes were almost closed. And I just decided, okay, I'll listen to the first one and I'll pray with them and then I'll go to sleep. Well, the first one was exactly what I was experiencing, even to exactly what the doctor described it as and exactly where it was. And he said, today it's moved down as well into your temple and your eye. And you're thinking it's a terrible migraine, but it's not. And it's really, really bad. And I was like, whoa. (laughs) I mean, he had so many details that were specific to my situation. I hope I am not scandalizing some of you. What they do is they say there is this person with this. And then they hold hands, the two of them. Their eyes are closed, their other hand is raised, and they pray for that. And they tell you, if this is you, put your hand on where it is. So here I am laying in bed, putting my hand here. Okay, Lord, that couldn't be any more explicit. I would like it if it was you. Go ahead. (laughs) And it went away. Immediately. Immediately it went away. Now, they were on television. They were holding hands. They were needing no me from anybody. And it went away. And I was laying there thinking, shall I wake up, Gary? And then I thought, no, I'm just going to go to sleep and see if when I get up in the night, it's still gone. So it was still gone in the night. And then I woke up in the morning and it was still gone. And I got up and all the things that had been happening because of it were not happening. Like I couldn't raise my head very fast because it hurt so bad, that sort of thing. And I just got up normally. And I told Gary, and he just said, thank God. (laughs) I know he was dealing with somebody that looked what my mother would call Belgium after the war. (laughs) Or, or, you know, I was alive during the Second World War. I lived through the whole thing. Or she also would say, death warmed over. And that's 
probably what I did look like. I may still look like that to you, but it's not true. I don't have that pain that was just laying me flat. Okay, I'm going to write to them and tell them about this Catholic who believed God with them and how grateful I am. So here I am, so don't worry about me. I'm pretty pale, and it was kind of stupid to wear a white shirt. Because that doesn't make you look better. (laughs) But I'm here, and this is what I've wanted to do. I've wanted to speak to you with the cross in my hand. Jesus' view of the world can only be understood if you think about his view here. While he was still alive, what did he see? Now, we began this project talking about Catholic worldview in January with Father Michael Keating. And he talked about how our minds have been fragmented. And I know many of you really appreciated what he said and wanted more. We had Ralph Martin in February And he brought us to a much stronger understanding of the severity of this moment and the need that there is and that we can't just keep going along. It's not the only thing he said, but that's what I wanted to bring out to you today. You can get them. They're part of this whole series. And then we had the mission And the mission was all about Catholic worldview. And Father Ed gave the rationale for why we're doing this and spoke about Catholic worldview from Scripture and from Blessed John Paul II. And then Deacon Dan spoke about our life and our response to the situation in the world. And then... I spoke about the mystical body, the body of Christ. And this is one of the first pieces of the Catholic worldview. How does Christ see his body that he left for us? How does he see that? What does he intend us to be? What are our responsibilities And you might remember that I said some hard things. I said, you're going to have to study. We're not there yet. I said, we have to stop murmuring about each other and what we don't like. I said other things in that vein. Now, at this point, we're beginning a new set in the series And I'm going to talk more specifically about how Christ sees us and the world from the cross. And next weekend, Paco Gavrilides is going to speak. And the next weekend, Al Cresta is going to speak. And these are all following each other. They aren't isolated pieces. So we have to get that in our minds Even if you can't be here, you're going to listen and keep up with the train of thought. There's much more. At the mission, we spoke about the little book, Union with God, by Father David McConey. And many of you, we had 300, and you bought 250. 
But I didn't put the union with God piece in just to say, oh, this is a good thing. It's really, really good. I've found it very useful. They find it useful in RCIA. I put that in on purpose because union with God, intimacy with God is at the heart of the Catholic worldview. And it's not going to work for us to simply be Catholics as maybe our cradle Catholic parents were. It's not going to work to be Catholics as maybe we thought it was going to be when we got married 20, in our case, 55 years ago. This is not the same world. And the situation is more dire right now. And it is a responsibility that we must do what we have been initiated to do. This week I spoke to the eighth graders who are getting ready for confirmation in a couple of weeks. And I said, when you started this study two years ago, you thought, okay, I'm going to do the next thing to be Catholic and then I'm done with that until I want to get married or whatever else I might need a confirmation certificate for. So it's a hoop you jump through. You do your Catholic things, and then you're finished. That's it. And you are Catholic, and this is a wonderful Catholic parish. But the Lord told me, brothers and sisters, Ten days after I took this job, and this was not in my mind at all when I started the job, I was just praying for the parish, and the Lord said, they need a Catholic worldview. And I was like, okay, that's a huge, tall order. And this is a very Catholic parish, I mean... The number of people that we have that are members of the parish come to church every Sunday. Whereas many parishes, only half of the membership comes. I have that on good report from someone who now works for us. So it's not to say we are in this terrible shape or whatever, but it is to say we are not where we absolutely must be. And we don't have very much time. So we have to be at it. We have to make the point to change what we need to change to become closer in the parish than we can ever imagine. We have to be in such union with God that Therese of Lisieux and Teresa of Avila would be very proud of us. Remember, Teresa of Avila said, when she was asked, why doesn't everybody do this, what did she say? They just don't know and they don't want that. I'm paraphrasing her. I know the Carmelites here might get after me. But the fact is, she said, they just don't know. And if they know, they haven't chosen that. Well, I'm telling you, and the scriptures have always been telling us, And from the cross, he's looking down at two groups of people. The ones right at his feet, that little group, that's Mary 
and the other women that are with her, that's John. Okay. They're huddling around the cross. His blood is dripping on them. They are at their station. This is where they belong. Remember that hymn that we sing during Lent, at the cross, her station keeping. This was her station. This is where she was supposed to go in an emergency, like you do on a ship or whatever. This is your station. That's where they were, right at his feet. And he spoke to them, and he was aware of them. But the rest of the people that were around him, they were like recoiling. They were in a huge, huge jumble, a mass before him of various kinds of reactions and thoughts about all of this. Some of them had to be there until he died. So they were playing craps and... There were some who were struck and couldn't believe it and didn't know what to think. And there were a lot who didn't, forgive me, give a damn. They were just roiling around in this mess. Now, I chose a picture, if you still have it, for the programs for the mission. Two of them had pictures of Christ on the cross. One had no one there. And the other was this exact picture. I'm describing a picture that an artist has painted very well. So look at that. And if you can remember the name of the artist now, tell me at the end so I can tell everybody else. But his name went out of my head. Now, what did he come for? First of all, if you're talking about the world... He was there when the world was created. If he was not there, we would have not had the world. And it was good. Remember that in Genesis? It would take me too long to do the whole scripture study, which is a valuable thing to do. Just look up in a concordance world and see the references to world. He was there when the world was created and it was good, very good. Now sin came into the world through one man and with sin came death and the poison that death spreads. And so by the time The first couple's children were grown-ups and making their livelihoods. One murdered the other. Very quickly in time, sin took its first tolls, death. And the poison of death remained and was extremely virulent until nobody was left But Noah and his family, who could be said to be righteous before God, he remembers all that. He's come with that perspective. And then when God began to make known that he was God, who he is, this began with Moses in divine revelation, 
and people chose to believe him. Those believers are chronicled in Hebrews 11, one after another. You can't get finished with 11 because then he goes to the next one and the next one. And towards the end of Hebrews 11, he says, and I haven't covered. And he ticks off eight more that he could have said. And they were believers. And what does he say about those believers? He said they went about wandering. They were persecuted. They had no wonderful life. Their lives were very, very difficult. The acts, the torture, everything is listed in Hebrews 11 that they went through. And yet they believed. And they believed without the promise. They did not have the promise. They knew about it, but they didn't have it. And what was the promise? The promise was that God would send the Messiah, the Redeemer, who would make things possible, everything that he wanted. He would change this picture. A possibility would be there. What was this Messiah? What was this Savior going to bring? He was going to bring grace, that is, God's life for us, which the believers in Hebrews 11 did not have, not in the same way we can have it, and glory. What does it mean that we live in his glory? This is the era of the glory, the era of the church which is what we're in. This is the last era of time. It's an era of glory. What is glory? Glory is not, oh, he's beautiful and he's wonderful and he says such great things and I love the music of the angels. That's not what it means. The word glory means to dwell in God, to be in God to the extent that we are not in the nosebleed section watching God do his thing, but we are in God, with God, at the table, speaking the language of God and expected to speak, and with him in greater unity and intimacy than we even have in this life in a holy marriage. Intimacy. That's what we mean. That's what the little book on union with God is referring to. This divine intimacy that we will have. That intimacy is, as I said, it's the heart of the Catholic worldview. And so he's looking at the church, those he has called, those who have been baptized, his followers now, and he is desiring such incredible intimacy, such union with him, that it would be impossible if you could really see it. Now, if you've been in a very, very good marriage 
you have a piece of the picture veiled and in the dark. It just a little bit of this intimacy. And those that are in religious life are called to an even greater intimacy. Just that intimacy that is what we're all leading to when we come to be able to be here with him on the cross and coming to it like he did. Remember, you can see in the passion of the Christ that Mary was expecting this. They did a decent job with Mary. She was not wishing for it, but she was expecting that his hour would come. And what it would be, she wasn't exactly sure, but she knew where her station was. And her station was right there, not hiding her eyes and not wishing he would come down and wouldn't have to do this. Of course, the pain of the mother for the son was very great, but not great enough for her to overcome the union that she had with her son. And not great enough, thanks be to God, for the union that John, the beloved, had with him. So John could be there and stand up through the whole thing. And when they were back together with the brethren after Jesus was buried, they did not shun those who ran away from among them. They went to them and joined them. They were with them. This did not separate them. Nothing could separate them from one another. They argued till they were blue in the face sometimes. They stood their ground. They split up because they couldn't take it with each other sometimes. But they did not cut the ties. They remained that unity that they had to be in for their mission. And what was their mission? We're in the 40 days right now. And this time is a very, very important time. It's a good thing to study just the 40 days and what Jesus did and what happened to the apostles and the disciples. The first thing he had to do was rehabilitate them. They were kind of in a mess. They did not know what to think. They had seen all these things. They had heard all these things. And yet they were in great need of rehabilitation. And it was okay with him that they needed it. He loved them. And he went and he set about showing them what they needed to see and strengthening them, preparing them. He gave them the sacrament of reconciliation. He taught them about how to do the Eucharist, to keep on doing it day after day. The first time you see it in the 40 days is the Emmaus event, which is almost immediately. And the disciples that were at the Emmaus event went back and said, we recognize him in the breaking of the bread. And I can imagine them saying, Maybe we ought to do this more often. <laughs> and he did say it. <laughs> the 
Then, after the work that he does in the 40 days, he tells the 11, Matthias was not yet chosen to be one of them. So the 11 remaining apostles to come to the mountain and only them. This is called the Great Commission. Now, the Great Commission is where we get our mission, where the whole church gets her mission. And what is the mission? Evangelize all the world. The mission is evangelization. Now, if I was one of those 11 guys, even if I saw and heard everything, and he says, go and make disciples of all the world, I would think, yeah. We don't know the languages. We've never been there. They don't like us. What do you mean? And of course, they could not but only see that. What did they see? They saw what was the obvious. I spoke about in the mystical body, I talked about reality and real reality. There really are two realities. And John McEwen and I are going to be working on reality and presenting more about reality and what is our responsibility toward reality. In the room when we were talking about this, John and I, there were a number of other people, and I added up the number of years we had all been married or following the Lord very, very closely. And some people said, there's a lot of reality represented in this room. Why do we have to look at reality and study reality? Well, I'm going to tell you why in just a minute. We still don't see reality as he sees it. And we need to see it as he sees it. And the apostles did not see reality as he saw it, even on the mountain. What are they going to do with forgiving people's sins? What was this going to be like? Did they try it with each other? You don't know. You know, they were just human beings. From about the fourth or fifth week they were with him, they must have had a lot of sleepless nights talking about what he must have meant by what he just said. When did they see reality? At Pentecost. And we're moving toward that right now. This is one of the reasons I wanted to do this before Pentecost. They were told to wait for Pentecost and they would understand everything. When they got to the top of that mountain, after three years with him, after 40 days after his resurrection, the first thing the scripture says, this is Matthew 28, 16 to 20. The first thing that's said about them is they doubted. They're still doubting. Don't give Thomas such a hard rap. They were all regularly doubting. They didn't see as they needed to see. When it came the time for them to see, they wasted no time. I only want to point out to you one of them, Thomas. Thomas, before the year 52, he was on the east coast of India, down at the peninsula. And he had gone through Syria, Iraq, and Iran, preaching the gospel. He had disciples with him. They were preaching the gospel. 
And those countries became Christian countries. Eventually, there was huge Christian populations in those countries. Think about that now. And he gets to the lower peninsula of India, and he's been through a lot. A lot of different languages. He's seen God do a lot of miracles. That's one of the things God told him, that you will be accompanied by miracles. And that's part of what we need to see in our life. Amen? Amen. This message has to be seen as incredibly impossible and unbelievable except for what we see. The miracles, the changed lives, and the love that is between these people. They've turned the world upside down or right side up. When Thomas was martyred there, and he's still buried there, it was a monumental moment for the country of India. They still consider him their apostle. And he never went back. Now, he was there on the mountain. And he was the first one that's a record of doubting. And here he goes virtually immediately out. And he's doing this. Now, I spoke to the eighth graders this week about you didn't know what you were getting into. Your parents didn't think a lot about what you were getting into either when they presented to the priest what they had made. You. Look at what we made. Isn't this wonderful? Will you baptize him? And so the priest does. Now, the parents aren't thinking exactly, but we need to do this more, that we're baptizing him for the mission the mission cannot be skipped. It's not just for his own sake that he will be saved and he will be a good man and maybe he'll take a few people with him to heaven and hopefully, of course, that he'll make purgatory. No, that's not the point. He's supposed to skip purgatory and take hundreds of people with him. And that's why you're baptizing him. It's one of the reasons you're baptizing him. And I told these eighth graders, and now you're getting the completion of those sacraments. And now you have to do the mission. And you can't get out of it. It's your responsibility. Think about it in the days you have left. And if you really think about it, it ought to scare you. You ought to go to your confirmation and to Pentecost begging God to give you what you need because this world that you're going to go into is worse than my children went into and you are the answer. You are Christ for the world. This is your vocation. This is your call. And you're going to have to answer for it when you meet the judge. Now, I've talked to the eighth graders about the judge a lot. I have a feeling they think that's the only thing I know much about. But really, we have to think about the fact that we are going to meet the judge. Every one of us. This is why many of the saints had skulls on their prayer 
tables to remember the end. Remember that we are not for this world in the sense that we are to be a part of it, but we are for it in the sense that we are to take the redeeming message and possibility to the world. Now, what about the world? The world has gotten to such a point that in the time of the apostles, they were writing, do not love the world. And you can say, well, but you did. But he says to us, do not love the world. Now, he did not say, get away from it. He did not say, create a cocoon for yourself and your darling children. He did not say, don't pay any attention to it. Just keep cutting it off. In fact, if he would have, then his own reason for coming and for establishing us as his body on this earth, his real body, it's an incarnational reality, the mystical body, his real body is here to go to the world, but not love the world and not desire what is in the world. In order to do that, you really have to step back and say, am I living like I see the world properly? Is it accurate? Because the apostles actually needed a very accurate understanding of the world or they wouldn't have succeeded. You and I don't have years and years to finish studying all these things. We have to study now, but then we have to be going into the world. He says, I came into the world in flesh, the incarnation. I took on human nature in everything but sin because why? I love the world. I love you. I don't just love you and not love them. I love every human being. And my mother used to say to me, when you're driving and you're at a stop sign, pray for everybody that is around you that is also stopped and all the people that are coming at you and just pray for them. You don't know what to pray, but pray. And she said, pray in tongues and keep praying for them. And when you look at them, realize his love for them. It's as great as it is for you, Barbara Ann. Remember this. Now, that understanding has stayed with me for 60-some years, as soon as I could assimilate this. And she kept saying it over and over again. He loves them. But you're not to be one of them. You're not ready yet. This is when I was young and growing up. But she told me about the world and we discussed the world a lot. Abortion became an acceptable thing to talk about when I was in the sixth grade. The first 
publicized abortion in the United States happened in the city that I grew up in, Phoenix, Arizona. And it went viral before things could really go viral like they are now. And I told these eighth graders, when I was studying the sixth commandment, the sixth and ninth commandments when I was a child and my mother would have me go over the answers every Thursday before the Friday test, I didn't know what abortion was. I thought it was like a miscarriage or something. It's not a word I ever knew. But think about the little children today who know what an abortion is. I know I've lived quite long, but I don't feel like I'm that old. In such a short time, this is common knowledge and acceptable. What does that mean? That this world is not going to come to the place where it comes to our feet and says, tell me, tell me, tell me. If that's true, it'll be rare. Now, it looked to the Pharisees like the world was following Jesus. Now, the Pharisees did not see the world. And for that matter, they did not see the unseen world at all. They did not see the seen world the way it really was. And it just looked to them after he raised Lazarus from the dead that the world was going to follow him like this. Well, it took more than raising Lazarus from the dead for it to fix everything. But that's the unseen versus the seen world. What we have to have is an understanding of the world that is unseen. We see the world. You go to movies, you decide which movie to go to, you decide what children can have and not have as far as electronic things, and you make decisions about your own life, what you're going to do and say on the job and in the neighborhood. But we have to see the unseen world more like Jesus does, as it really is. What is that unseen world? It was made for the incarnation. It was made to be raised up to divinity. You don't understand things unless you understand their beginnings and their reason for existence. The reason that world exists and that anybody who is in the world, who is following the world exists, is to be raised up to divinity. That's what the little booklet that I suggest is talking about and what the scriptures talk about. We must see the world as it must be, not just as how terrible it is. We must see the world as the place we have been sent to work tirelessly in until the 11th hour in order to reveal what the world does not see. So, what is the Catholic worldview of money? What is the Catholic worldview of economics in general? What is the Catholic worldview of the fact that we are a body politic and we have to govern ourselves? And how should that work? 
how does Jesus see matrimony? And it's deeper than this parish sees it now. It's even more. We think we're pretty good, and we are, but it's more. What does the Catholic worldview see family life as? And while we have extraordinary family life in comparison to many other situations, we haven't reached the place we need to be in family life. We need to discuss what is the Catholic worldview of family life. We need to discuss those kinds of things with each other, look at the scriptures that speak about this, and be armed with a seeing that is not there for us quite yet. We have to study in order to see. We have to come to him first and be converted, totally converted. In 06, I had just finished another whole series of being very, very sick and serious surgeries. And I came out of them in the recovery room and I woke up and the first thing I thought is, what should I do? And then I thought, I should really pray. And then I thought, but I don't know if I believe that. Now, I'd been teaching that for a long time and teaching people how to teach it for a long time. But I laid there in ICU thinking, okay, girl, go to it. You know what you're supposed to do right now. And I couldn't do it. I did not see in myself any believing. And that scared the spit out of me. It is a terrible thing to not believe. That's why our brothers and sisters who come into the church as adults and then see as everything can be seen or start to see it, that's why it's such an incredibly wonderful thing. We take it for granted because in some way we feel like we've always seen it. But we don't see it yet. And if you don't believe, that is a miserable life. I didn't want my family to know. I didn't want my students to know. I lived still where all my master's students lived. I lived across the street from them. I got awards for teaching what I was teaching. I didn't want to tell anybody this. Not because I didn't want any help, but I knew they would be appalled and they'd maybe get all disturbed and I didn't want the disturbance either. So I called four priests, only one of which lived in that town. This was Steubenville, Ohio. And I called them up and I said, Father, do you believe all that stuff? Each one of them said, yes. They knew I'd been sick, but they didn't expect this call. And I said, Father, I don't believe it. I don't know if I believe it. I can't believe it. What can you do for me? Or what can you say? Every single one of the four of them said, this is what you do. You see yourself standing on my shoulders, and I'll believe for you. Don't pray. Don't try to pray. Don't try to think. Don't try to do what Louis de Montfort or Teresa of Avila or anybody else would say you should do. 
just stand on my shoulders and I'll pray. And all I want you to do is every day say, God help the priest who is holding me up. Four priests. And that went on from September of 05 until Divine Mercy Feast in 06. It was the first time I could go out and go just to go out. So we went to Mass. I had sort of remembered there was Easter before that, but I wasn't very aware of it. I wasn't thinking about it. I wasn't believing. And the priest who was in town, he kept visiting me every two weeks, and he never pressed me about anything. And I went to Mass on Divine Mercy Sunday, and I swear the priest said nothing about Divine Mercy Sunday. I didn't remember any of that. I came away from there on the way home, And I thought came to me, I'd like to go to confession. And I thought, where did that come from? And then I thought, well, I'm not going to turn away from it. I'm going to accept it. And so what I did was I called a place across the street where there were priests who were studying from across the world. The only one who was home was my last master's student. He was getting a master's degree in catechetics, and he was studying for his comprehensive exams And I was his main professor. Here is the seal of confession. He said, I'm only here because my sister in Ireland wants me to be here at this time to take a call. So I went across the street and I started to talk. I had no idea what I was going to say. All I really know is that I cried and cried and cried and cried and cried and cried and cried. I didn't really know what I was saying. I think that I was repenting, and I think I was just talking about things as well. It was three hours later, and he sent me home. And I got home, and I went upstairs, and I had received this bracelet at a wedding, you know, the favors they give at weddings. I didn't like people who wore rosaries and things like that. I thought that they shouldn't over-spiritualize this jewelry thing. But I went to get it. And I put it on because at that moment, what I felt like was a babe, a new Christian. And I put it on because I didn't like wearing it. And every day I put it on to remember that I'm a babe and I have a lot to learn. And it's still very important to me. We have to see what is unseen. We have very much to learn. I want to close with something that Cardinal Newman wrote. Cardinal John Henry Newman, blessed John. I studied a lot about him when I was doing advanced studies. And he says that the cross is a measure of the world. So you know how you measure a piece of cloth to make a curtain or a skirt or you measure something if you're building something. This is the measurement. This is how you're measured. We know that he's our measure. He's going to be our measure at our personal judgment. And that's a relief because he loves us. And if we were judged by ourselves or by our parents or our spouses or anyone else, we'd be in very bad trouble. Okay, the cross is the measure of the world. And he speaks about those who must attach themselves to the cross in order to see what he sees. 
and understand what he understands about the world. And then he says, those who have done that alone are able truly to enjoy this world. Those who begin with the world unseen, they alone enjoy it because they see it as it's meant to be. Those who have first abstained from it, they enjoy it. They alone can truly feast who have first fasted. They alone are able to use the world who have learned not to abuse it. They alone inherit it who take it as a shadow of the world to come and who for that world to come relinquish it. That's how we're to go into the world with that perspective. That is our worldview. We are to love the world as he loved it. And we are to go into the world equipped and ready to reveal to the world what the world was made for. Let us pray for one another that we will decide, as Teresa said, or as I said she said, to choose this union with God and this proper attitude and view of the world. O come, Holy Spirit. O come, Counselor. O come, Paraclete. O come, Fire of Love. O come, Enabler. O come, you who makes the impossible possible. Come, come, Holy Spirit. Fill the hearts of your faithful and enkindle in us the fire of your love. Send forth your spirit, and they shall be created. We shall renew the face of the earth. In the name of the Father, and of the Son, and of the Holy Spirit. That was Professor Barbara Morgan. Her talk title was, Seeing as God Sees, for we cannot speak of what we have seen and heard. In future weeks, we'll hear talks by Paco Gavrilides, Al Cresta, Father David Maconi, and Sister Ann Shields. Stay with us as we recognize those who received papal honors at a solemn Vesper service at St. Mary Cathedral in Lansing on September 6, 2012. This is Putting on the Mind of Christ on Ave Maria Radio. Putting on the Mind of Christ is a compilation of presentations, talks, and news recorded over the past couple of decades. References to people, facts, and opinions heard were made at the time of the recording. Welcome back to Putting on the Mind of Christ. Pope Benedict XVI recently honored a number of priests and lay members of the Diocese of Lansing. The honors were extended at a solemn Vesper service at the Cathedral in Lansing on September 6, 2012. I drove up there to record the event. Bishop Earl Boyer presided. The faithful arrived in numbers and nearly filled the cathedral. The Master of Ceremonies was very busy, making sure that everything went off without a hitch. One of the honorees, Monsignor Michael Murphy, spoke for all those who received the papal commendations. The first to speak was Bishop Emeritus Carl Mengling. Monsignor Michael David Murphy, Protonotary Apostolic Supra Numerari. Monsignor Michael David Murphy was born in Monroe, Michigan, on April 4, 1940. 
After attending St. Mary Cathedral School here in Lansing, he attended Sacred Heart Seminary in Detroit, then St. John Provincial Seminary. He was ordained on June 4, 1966. He served as a parochial bishop at four parishes from 1966 to 1976. Holy Redeemer in Burton, St. Charles in Coldwater, St. Patrick Brighton, and St. Gerard Lansing. He also served as an administrator at St. Isidore in Langsburg. He has served as pastor at St. Jude in DeWitt, St. Patrick Brighton, and St. Thomas Aquinas, East Lansing. He was named rector of St. Mary Cathedral Parish in 1998. He has always enjoyed the reputation of being a devoted pastor with a great talent for storytelling. But even greater talent for preaching the Word of God. As a trusted advisor to myself and Bishop Boyer, he concurrently served as moderator of the Curium, vicar for religious and vicar general. In addition, he has also served on numerous diocesan committees and councils. In 2010, he was granted senior priest status. He continues to merit the esteem of the priests and the faithful of our diocese. He was named a prelate of honor to his holiness on March 14, 1998, that is, to blessed John Paul II, and he now becomes the first priest in 75 years of the Diocese of Lansing to hold the rank of Proto-Notary Apostolic Supranumerary. This additional honor is a recognition of his life of faithful and outstanding service to the Diocese of Lansing. The proclamation from the Vatican reads, Benedict the 16th Supreme Pontiff to our beloved son, Greetings and apostolic benediction. It is with a willing and kind spirit that we hear the entreaty made to us because we know for certain that you excel with spiritual gifts of knowledge and talent and that also by study and work you take care to promote the Catholic faith. So... We now publicly convey our benevolence to you. We name, elect, and declare you, Michael David Murphy, from the Diocese of Lansing, Michigan, to be a proto-notary apostolic supranumerary. Therefore, we concede to you the privileges, honors, and prerogatives from the instruction ut sive of the papal secretary, which are joined to this dignity, mandating, however, that you take the usual oath of fidelity. Given in Rome at St. Peter's on this, the eighth day of June, 2012, Tarsicio Cardinal Bertone, Secretary of State, Bishop Boyer, I, with great enthusiasm, present to you Monsignor Michael Merkel. Monsignor Bernard Riley was introduced by Monsignor Steve Avlaika. Bernard Lewis Riley was born in Jackson, Michigan, on November 14, 1945.
He attended St. Gregory Seminary in Cincinnati, Ohio, and St. John Provincial Seminary in Plymouth, and was ordained to the priesthood on April 28, 1973. He served as parochial vicar in four parishes from 1973 to 1982. St. Gerard Lansing, St. Luke Flint, St. Casimir Lansing, St. John the Evangelist Fenton. Since 1982, he has served as pastor at St. Leo the Great Flint, St. Luke Flint, St. Jude DeWitt, and St. Mary Star of the Sea Jackson. He was named rector of the cathedral in 2009. He serves on the Presbyteral Council, the College of Consultors, and completed a term on the Diocesan Finance Council and serves many in diocesan leadership, while many in diocesan leadership rely on his sound pastoral advice. He is known as a devoted pastor with a great respect for the liturgy, with great zeal for preaching the gospel, and with constant compassion for the poor. He has a very engaging personality that has been a blessing to his parishioners for nearly 40 years of priesthood. He has also been known as a priest for priests, being very attentive to the needs of brother priests. He has the esteem of all who know him, including leaders in ecumenical and interreligious circles. He serves as one of the masters of ceremonies for major diocesan events, performing his duties with humility, style, and grace. The decree from the Vatican reads, Benedict XVI, Supreme Pontiff to our beloved Son, greetings and apostolic benediction. It is with a willing and kind spirit that we hear the prayers made to us, and we indeed publicly show this testimonial of our singular benevolence toward you, which you have well deserved for your contributions to the progress and growth of the Catholic faith. We name, elect, and declare you, Bernard Lewis Riley, from the Diocese of Lansing, to be our prelate of honor. We therefore concede to you the privileges, honors, and prerogatives which are joined with this dignity and are found in the instruction Utsive from the Secretary of State, given in Rome at St. Peter's on this eighth day of June in the year 2012, Tarcisio Cardinal Bertoni, Secretary of State. Bishop Boyer, I present to you Monsignor Bernard Riley. Monsignor Richard Groschek introduced the most elder priest and pastor in the Diocese of Lansing, Monsignor Anthony Makrovsky. Anthony Peter Makrovsky was born in Flint, Michigan on Christmas Eve, 1918. Even as a child, he was a member of All Saints Parish. He attended St. Michael's High School prior to enrolling in Sacred Heart Seminary in Detroit to study philosophy. He received his degree in theology at Mount St. Mary of the West in Cincinnati, Ohio. He was ordained to the priesthood on June 3, 1944. He served as parochial vicar of the Cathedral Parish, right here, 1945 to 1946, and then at his home parish, All Saints, from 1946 to 1955. On the death of the pastor, he became the administrator from 1955 to 1958, and then pastor from 1958 until the present. For over 66 years, he has been known as a devoted pastor who has given his all to his parish and his parishioners. In 1986, he wrote Bishop Popish, I am happy to inform you that I am perfectly satisfied 
with my present assignment until death do us part. I think this sums up quite well his dedication and perseverance. At age 94, he is the oldest living priest of the diocese and longest-serving active pastor. He has filled other roles in the diocese as well, including serving as the director of the Confraternity of Christian Doctrine. He enjoys the esteem and affection of his parishioners and the admiration of the other priests of the diocese. He participates in all diocesan events and gatherings of the presbyterate. This papal honor is not only a tribute to him, but a tribute to all our senior priests and to the good people whom Father Tony has served for over 66 years. His citation from the Vatican reads, Benedict XVI, Supreme Pontiff, to our beloved son, greetings and apostolic benediction. It is with a willing and kind spirit that we hear the entreaty made to us that we indeed publicly demonstrate toward you our singular benevolence, which you well deserve for your contributions to the progress and growth of the Catholic faith. We name, elect, and declare you, Anthony Peter Mikrowski, from the Diocese of Lansing, to be a chaplain to His Holiness. We therefore concede to you the privileges, honors, and prerogatives which are joined with this dignity and are found in the instruction Utsive from the Secretary of State, given in Rome at St. Peter's on this 8th day of June, 2012, Tarsicio Cardinal Bertone, Secretary of State. And Bishop Boyes, with great pleasure, I present to you Monsignor Anthony Mahrowski. Monsignor Gerald Mickey was at his post in Rome. But his mother was introduced by Monsignor George Michelak. Gerald Lee Vinke was born in Saginaw, Michigan, on July 9, 1964, the ninth of ten children of Henry and Faye Vinke. He attended New Lothrop High School, where he was a record-setting football-wide receiver, and also attended Ferris State University, where he served as editor for an award-winning newspaper. He obtained a degree in public relations and marketing. He completed his philosophy studies at St. Thomas More College in Crestview, Kentucky, then studied for his theology degree at the Athenaeum Seminary in Cincinnati, Ohio, and at Sacred Heart Major Seminary in Detroit. He studied spirituality at Creighton University. He was ordained to the priesthood on June 12, 1999, and served as parochial vicar at St. Thomas Apostle Parish in Ann Arbor, then as chaplain at Bethany House. He became the Director of Seminarians and Vocations in 2003. In this role, he demonstrated integrity, patience, and great concern for the men seeking to discern God's will in their lives. In 2010, he was appointed a Spiritual Director at the North American College in Rome, where he currently serves as Director for 40 seminarians. Father Jerry has an engaging personality, a gentle soul, and a deep prayer life. All these traits make him effective priest and a valued friend. He clearly has the esteem of his brother priests, seminarians, lay leaders, and all who know him. His proclamation from the Vatican reads, Benedict XVI, Supreme Pontiff, to our beloved Son, greetings and apostolic benediction. It is with a willing and kind spirit that we hear the entreaty made to us that we indeed publicly demonstrate toward you our singular benevolence 
which you well deserve for your contributions to the progress and growth of the Catholic faith. We name, elect, and declare you, Gerald Lee Vinke, from the Diocese of Lansing, to be a chaplain to His Holiness. We therefore concede to you the privileges, honors, and prerogatives which are joined with this dignity and are found in the instruction Utsive from the Secretary of State, given in Rome at St. Peter's on the 8th day of June in the year 2012, Tarsicio Cardinal Bertoni, Secretary of State. Monsignor Vinci cannot be with us tonight since he has returned to his duties in Rome, but in his place, Bishop Boyer, I present to you his mother, Mrs. Faye Vinci. Ray and Grace Pisano were introduced by their pastor, Father Doug Osborne. Eulalio Ray Pisano was born in Laredo, Texas, July 14, 1935. He was a migrant worker in Michigan from 1945 to 1955. He was soon hired at Tecumseh Products, eventually serving as a machine shop supervisor there from 1965 until his retirement in the year 2000. In 1966, Ray volunteered in the migrant camp ministry with the local clergy and soon was helping in the prison ministry as well. In 1980, he entered formation for the permanent diaconate for the Diocese of Lansing. When his wife Pauline died, Ray left the program. He married Grace in 1987, and she encouraged him to re-enter the diaconate program, which he did ordained a deacon that same year. Grace Pisania was also born in Laredo, Texas, November the 3rd, 1940. Her family moved to Michigan in 1955 when her father began work at a foundry in Milan, Michigan. In 1965, she began work as a housekeeper at St. Joseph Academy, a school run by the Adrian Dominican Sisters. She then worked for General Motors from 1972 until her retirement in 2001. After her marriage to Ray in 1987, they became a team in migrant and prison ministries. Grace has also served on the Diocesan Pastoral Council, has been a member of the board for Catholic Charities of Lenawee County since 2007. Ray and Grace have served their own parish, St. Elizabeth in Tecumseh in countless ways, including conducting baptism preparation classes for over 24 years. With limited formal education, these two wonderful, humble Hispanic leaders have been a bright light to so many in the Diocese of Lansing and have won the esteem, affection of clergy, and faithful alike. The Holy Father honors them for serving both their neighbors and the sojourner among us. Their citation from the Vatican reads, Benedict the Sixteenth, Supreme Pontiff, decrees and bestows upon Deacon Eulalio and Grace Pisania the Benemerenti Gold Medallion, which has been established to recognize outstanding Christian service and concedes to them permission to wear this medallion, given at the Vatican Palace on the 28th day of May, 2012. Bishop Boyer, with great joy I present to you the most humble couple in the entire world, Deacon Ray and Grace Pizarro. 
And finally, Sister Ann Shields was introduced by Monsignor Robert Lunsford. Sister Ann Shields was born Emily Elizabeth Shields on October 5, 1939, in Lewiston, Pennsylvania. She joined the Mercy Sisters of Dallas, Pennsylvania, where her aunt was the superior. She made her final vows in 1965. She later joined the Servants of God's Love in Ann Arbor. In 2007, her term as superior of the community ended, but she remains as the spiritual heart of the community. She served in higher education for 18 years as an English teacher and journalism instructor and as head of college campus ministry. Now, as a part of the team at Renewal Ministries, she is a much sought-after speaker and a prolific writer in the area of spirituality. She has authored a number of booklets and is a regular columnist in Faith Magazine. In addition, she currently hosts a daily radio program, Food for the Journey. Sister Anne is a very energetic and holy woman with a caring and endearing personality. And for many years, she has placed all those qualities to good use as a tireless and enthusiastic evangelist of the gospel of Jesus Christ in our diocese and on the national and international scene. She has assisted countless souls in their appreciation of the truth of the gospel, the richness of the Catholic faith, and a deeper love for the Church. She clearly has the esteem of her community and of the many people in this diocese and elsewhere who have been touched by her gentle spirit and enriched by her spiritual counsel. Her citation from the Vatican reads, Benedict XVI, Supreme Pontiff, decrees and bestows upon the Reverend Sister Anne Shields the Benimarenti Gold Medallion, which has been established to recognize outstanding Christian service and concedes to her permission to wear this medallion. Given at the Vatican Palace on the 28th day of May, 2012. Bishop Boyer, I gladly present to you Sister Ann Shields. On this edition of Putting on the Mind of Christ, we just heard the presentation of papal honors on seven members of the Church of Lansing. We join our Holy Father, Bishop Earl Boyer, and all those who are present in the Cathedral of St. Mary on September 6, 2011, to say congratulations and thank you for serving so well our Lord and His Church. Earlier on this edition, we heard Professor Barbara Morgan with the first talk of the Catholic Worldview Series that's being held at Christ the King Church in Ann Arbor, Michigan. Her title was, Seeing as God Sees, For We Cannot Speak of What We Have Seen and Heard. Next week, we'll hear a talk by Sacred Heart Major Seminary's Paco Gavrilides. He will speak on the witness of a holy life and the transformation of the temporal order to which we are all called. Putting on the Mind of Christ is presented by the Ave Maria Communications Guild and this station. This radio station is listener-supported. If you like what is offered here, we ask you to support it with your treasure. This is your host and program producer, Henry Root. Thanks for being with us on this edition of Putting on the Mind of Christ. Tune in next time for a talk about Christian concerns from the Catholic perspective. Until next time, 
May our Lord richly bless you and your families. This is Ave Maria Radio.